Hello, Irish fans, and welcome to Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. As always, I am your host, Alex Painter. I hope everyone and your families are staying safe and well as we continue to battle the coronavirus pandemic as a country, as well as all of us as global citizens. If you are among those who work in the health field who are fighting this thing on the front lines every single day, please know that you have my personal thanks and gratitude for putting yourself in peril on a daily basis. So if that person you know is a spouse, a family member, or a friend, and again, is among those who are fighting this thing every day on the front lines, uh, please give them an extra thank you for me. We are all in this together, after all. And speaking of, how about a uh, story I thought that was really positive and very uplifting, and I thought it was appropriate for a show about the Irish football team. So this is mostly from The Guardian, but it has been reported by multiple news outlets. So for some backstory, in 1847, the Choctaw Indian nation set aside its own impoverishment and suffering to make a $170 donation to victims of the Irish potato famine. So the tribe had suffered immensely during its Trail of Tears, which was, of course, the forced relocation of the tribe to Oklahoma. So it empathized with the Irish people enduring misery and starvation more than 4,000 miles away. So, of course, the Irish potato famine actually caused the death of a million Irish people from hunger and disease from 1845 to 1849, and about another one million also emigrated out of the country. But Ireland has never forgotten the Choctaw's generosity. The tribe itself, as mentioned, had endured a forced 600-mile trek that left thousands dead from hunger, cold, and disease, and then impoverished in Oklahoma. Yet they somehow rustled up $170, which today translates to $5,350 to help the Irish in their time of need. So the generosity shown by the Native Americans left a lasting mark on Ireland, and it's remembered now even today through art and commemorations. But now the tables have turned a little bit, and the Irish are reciprocating that kindness by donating to a fund for Navajo and Hopi communities hit by COVID-19. Quote, a beautiful act of solidarity from our friends in Ireland who remember the kindness shown to them by our Choctaw brothers and sisters who sent them aid during the Great Potato Famine in 1847. Thank you so much, Ireland, wrote Ethel Branch, one of the fund organizers. The favor is returned through generous donations from the Irish people to the Navajo Nation during our time of crisis. Thank you, Ireland, for showing solidarity and being here for us, wrote Vanessa Tully, another organizer. Adversity often brings out the best in people, the Choctaw tribe said in a statement. We are gratified, and perhaps not at all surprised, to learn of the assistance our special friends, the Irish, are giving to the Navajo and Hopi nations. Our word for their selfless act is Ayakoya. 
It means serving those in need. The Choctaw and Irish have become kindred spirits since the potato famine, the tribe said. We hope the Irish, Navajo, and Hopi peoples develop lasting relationships, as we have. Sharing our cultures makes the world grow smaller. So the donations will help supply food, water, and medical supplies for vulnerable families, many of whom have diabetes or other diseases in addition to COVID-19. I am happy to note personally here that the original goal amount of $2 million for the GoFundMe has been surpassed. So again, whether you are actually full-blooded Irish, part Irish like myself and my family, not the least bit Irish, or you just really dig the fighting Irish football team of Notre Dame. In difficult times, let's not forget to emulate the Irish in this case. Help our neighbors. And as the Navajo say, Iyakoya, serving those in need. Episode 23, let's get after it. We have a lot to talk about. So I'm going to get through the housekeeping as quickly as I can here. So if you're curious about how the Irish fared in the 2020 National Football League draft, or who in the program could replace those who have moved on, please listen to episode 22, which served as something of a recap for all of that. So a few thank yous are in order before we begin. First and foremost, thank you to you, the listener. I know a number of you have been around here for a long time, so please know that I am eternally grateful for your company. Others may have just discovered the show. I am, of course, incredibly grateful for your company as well. Next to the show's Consensus All-Americans, a super special sect of show listeners who support the efforts monetarily and keep it 100% ad-free for all of us to enjoy and allows the show to continue to push boundaries onward and upward. So first up is Brad Glazer of Williamsburg, Indiana. Thank you so much, Brad. And second, a special thank you to Michael Finan of Rutherford, New Jersey, who is the show's most recent Consensus All-American, both of whom we will hear from during this episode. So just as a reminder to any of you, all of the funds directed to the show in this manner, 100% of them, go directly back into the show. So more on the Consensus All-American program here in a moment. So for anyone who's new here and you heard that theme song and you're like, where do I hear that again? Uh, I guess you could always go back and listen to old episodes or listen to this one again. But that is a song by Joseph Rakish, and it's called Canute Rockney. And thank you to Joseph for allowing us to use it as our theme song. So you can find it on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, or YouTube. Again, Joseph Rakish, Canute Rockney. So go give it a spin. And if you dig the show, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, which is the purple icon if you have an iPhone. We are also on Spotify as well as Podbean at onwardtovictory.podbean.com. Podbean also has a mobile app. So please like, subscribe, do whatever you got to do to make sure you're getting all the new episodes. Please interact with the show on the Facebook page at facebook.com slash onwardtovictory. We have tons of new members on Facebook. So welcome to all of you. Please feel free, anyone though, to make your voice heard on that platform. Feel free to send the show an email if you'd like at onwardtovictorypodcast at gmail.com. So if you'd like to name yourself to the aforementioned Onward to Victory Consensus All-American list and join loyal sons Brad and Michael and become a loyal son or daughter, so to speak, yourself, you can do so very simply. A $10 donation to the show 
We'll sponsor a couple episodes and get your name called out as a consensus All-American over the air. You can donate at paypal.me slash onward to victory for a one-time donation, or if you want to donate a certain amount per month, visit patreon.com slash onward to victory podcast. I hope you all know that any support is greatly appreciated, which includes liking, sharing, commenting, corresponding, interacting, which of course is always free. All right, so episode 23, in keeping with show tradition, let's assign the episode a representative who wore number 23 for the Irish. Got kind of a packed field today, too. So episode 23, we could have a representative in Clarence Ellis, an interception machine of the 1960s and 70s, a defensive back. It could also be another defensive back, Dave Duerson, who starred in the early 80s for the Irish before becoming a member of the legendary 1985 Chicago Bears team, coached famously by Mike Ditka. Running back and former Irish coach Autry Denson wore number 23 from 1995 through 1998 before enjoying several seasons in the NFL and CFL. Oh, and no one in Notre Dame history has rushed for more yards on the ground than Denson. All right, how about Golden Tate, wide receiver from 2007 to 2009? Only Michael Floyd has more catches in a season and yards in a career than Tate. Tate kind of served as something of the heir apparent to Irish wide receiver Jeff Samarja. And finally, this could be the Drew Tranquil episode who played safety and linebacker for the Irish from 2013 to 2018. So Tranquil enjoyed a career that featured overcoming multiple injuries to log nearly 300 tackles, 25 and a half tackles for loss, five and a half sacks, and three interceptions. So yes, the man was everywhere. Tranquil, an easy guy to root for, like many of his former Irish mates, plays for the Los Angeles Chargers. So that is quite a list. And being the Fort Wayne homer and being the Fort Wayne native that I am, I do really want to choose Tranquil, but I think I have to give this one to Mr. Audrey Denson. His 4,318 rushing yards is the best in program history. His 43 touchdowns rank second only to Alan Pinkett. So what a career for Denson, and this will henceforward be dubbed the Autry Denson episode. So let's go. At the end of last episode, I asked us to consider what the, quote, spirit of Notre Dame meant to us, or was to us. And this was based on that famous Joe Theismann quote, just happens to be one of my favorites, which which is, pardon me, quote, If you could find a way to bottle the Notre Dame spirit, you could light up the universe. End quote. So this was paired with another quote, an extended one from famous Notre Dame alum Regis Philbin, which I will reread here on the other side of the break. Now, I heard from several of you, and I even kind of took a crack at it myself. And I'm happy that this was kind of a collaborative project, figuring out what the spirit of Notre Dame was because I think it is truly central to Notre Dame fandom, and but also can be fairly difficult to define. Or it just might be very specific to each and every one of us. So again, I heard from several of you, which I greatly, greatly appreciate. I'll kind of put in my two cents, as well as pull in some famous folk from Notre Dame history to chime in as well. 
But the question is, what is the spirit of Notre Dame? What does that mean? Stay with me, and we'll be right back. All right, so what is the spirit of Notre Dame? This is a loaded question, and as we'll find out, it means something a little different to everybody. So we are going to try to be as diligent as we can and try to unpack this as effectively as we can. But first, to kind of preface our conversation, I'd like to hearken back to uh, and first consider the excerpt that was read a couple weeks ago. This is from Jim and Jeremy Langford's The Spirit of Notre Dame. From class of 1953 alum Regis Philbin. Perhaps you've heard of him. But it's titled, What is the Spirit of Notre Dame? And in it, Philbin opines, What is the Spirit of Notre Dame? That's a tough one. It's so difficult to explain. You really have to be there to walk the campus, to feel it, to understand it, to be influenced by it. There were nights when I first arrived there, and incidentally, this was my first stop ever west of the Hudson River, when I actually thought I felt the spirits of those who had preceded me. Those nights when I walked the campus in my freshman year were mesmerizing. I never got over it. There was something there, something in the air, something that made you feel better, something that made you want to be better. And through the years, it has never changed for me. Every time I go back to Notre Dame, it's there. And I'm not ashamed to tell you I get quite emotional, even teary-eyed. I stand on the main quad and look in every direction and I am filled with awe. I have brought New York City cops back as my guests, show business personalities, Catholic priests, people of every religion, and they feel it too. They understand there is a difference. If you ever have a chance to go to Notre Dame. Walk the campus. You'll feel it. You'll get it. And maybe someday, you'll even be able to explain it to me. Parsegian, after winning the 1966 National Championship, credited the spirit of Notre Dame back to Rockne and the boys. And this was certainly a fair assessment. However, Chet Grant, who wrote one of the earliest and most comprehensive histories of Notre Dame football disagrees. Grant knew what he was talking about. He lived in South Bend and began watching Notre Dame football as a boy in the early 1900s. He then covered the football team for a local newspaper when he was still a teenager. Eventually, he actually went to Notre Dame as a student and joined the football team. He was George Gipps' backup in 1920, and he quarterbacked the Irish in 1921. Not done yet, he then coached the Irish from 1934 to 1940 and remained a mainstay around the program for the next several decades. So yes, one might say Grant had a bit of background to say the least. So he ties the spirit, or as he calls it sometimes, the mystique, of Notre Dame back to the school's founder, Father Edward Soren. He says, quote, Era Parsegian's only error was the attribution of the origin 
of the spirit of Notre Dame to the wrong man. In order to find the personal source, as he calls it, of the magic and mystique spectacularized by the fighting Irish of football, you must go back to the school's founding of Notre Dame by a non-athletic fighting Frenchman, the founding father, Edward Soren. It was Soren who cut through the Indiana wilderness in 1842 during the coldest winter on record since 1607 to found a small Catholic-based institution of learning in northern Indiana, one which he would call Notre Dame du Lac, or Our Lady, or Our Mother. Despite heavy anti-Catholic sentiment across the land, the Spirit allowed the university to persevere during those first couple difficult decades. One can certainly deduce it was the same spirit that carried future university president Father William Corby, chaplain of the famed Irish Brigade during the American Civil War, to trudge forward during the 1863 battle at Gettysburg, while, as he later said, quote, I shall never forget how wicked the whiz of the enemy bullets seemed as we advanced into that battle. As soon as my men began to fall, I began to hear their confessions on the spot. Every instant, bullets whizzed past my head. End quote. It was without question that same spirit that led Corby and the rest of the Notre Dame community to assess the damage of the Great Fire of 1879 on campus, which completely torched the main administration building. It has been written that Corby fetched a wheelbarrow and, while the bricks were still warm from the blaze, began collecting them for the rebuilding project. The rebuild would be complete and later given a golden dome. It can be said that it was that same spirit that propelled the first Notre Dame football team to the gridiron in 1887. But those aforementioned examples are certainly more of the intangible type. The spirit is more of a perception and less palpable, not necessarily something that may appear to the naked eye. But if you were to ask me, rarely can you find a more physical sense of the spirit of Notre Dame than through the amazing landmarks on campus. For instance, the Hesburg Library, with the incredible Word of Life mural on the front of it. You may know it as Touchdown Jesus. And also, for me, when it comes to physical spaces, you simply cannot beat the section of campus that features the cathedral, the Basilica of the Sacred Heart, the Old Log Chapel as an homage to the school's founders, the beautiful view of the St. Mary's Lake, and, lest we forget, the Grotto of Our Lady of Lords may be the best physical encapsulation of the spirit of Notre Dame incarnate. Whether you are Catholic or atheist or anything in between, this place is special, even breathtaking. You don't have to be overtly religious to feel something there. While, yes, the Grotto is a place of prayer, it's also a place of peace a place of clarity and serenity. 
Father Ted Hesburgh in 1986 wrote this about the grotto, quote, I really believe that Our Lady watches over this place. I feel I ought to stop and say thanks and also pray that she keeps watching over it. I usually get down to the grotto in the wee hours of the morning when I leave the office. There is almost always someone down there, rain, sleet, or snow. Every university has a place where students hang out for their social life, libraries where they study, and fields where they play sports. But how many have a praying place? End quote. Hesburgh's successor as university president, Father Edward Monk Malloy, concurs with this sentiment. And he writes, quote, The grotto is a place of faith. How wonderful that Father Soren and his successors brought the Spirit of Lords, the Spirit of Mary, to the heartland to inspire the prayers of young people for generations to come. Listener Will S. from New Orleans, Louisiana, sees and admires the spirit of Notre Dame and actually breaks it down to a single word, excellence. He relays, quote, the excellence from the football team to the landscaping to the expectations of students and faculty. Notre Dame expects excellence, end quote. In Jim and Jeremy Langford's book, the aforementioned The Spirit of Notre Dame, they break it into categories such as faith, hope, love, and community. Or as show listener Norman Kolaski puts it, there is only one way to describe it, the spirit of Notre Dame. And that is God, country, and Notre Dame. A recognizable phrase that you will find above one of the doors of the basilica. If given thought, any of us could probably neatly classify the spirit into any number of these offered categories. But boy, does the spirit sure live seemingly in that football team. Notre Dame football and the Notre Dame spirit are perfectly complementary of one another. And I and those who wrote in and shared their stories and thoughts would concur the spirit of Notre Dame is certainly found in the historical landmarks on campus the air that just seems to reside over the place, Notre Dame Stadium, the house that Rockney built, and George Gipp, Paul Horning, Johnny Lujak, Johnny Latner, Joe Montana, Autry Denson, Jalen Smith, or Ian Book, just a sampling of Notre Dame football heroes. As sports writer Jim Murray wrote in 1977, quote, Notre Dame is the place where legends began. George Gipp on his deathbed. His last wish is for one army game. Then there's Rock. Oh, that sly one, that Rockney. A Norwegian, more Irish than the Irish. An artful rogue. Murray continues saying that opposing teams come to this, quote, fount of football where fair catch Corby's statue dresses the campus and God looks over the football field in a 90-foot mural, and the golden dome of Our Lady guarantees serenity, end quote. So Notre Dame, whether you have any formal connection outside of a seemingly cosmic one, means love, memories, and family. As Brad Glazer of Indiana shares, quote, 
My first game was the 1979 Michigan game. My dad and great uncle took me with them. I remember vividly the first time I saw the field coming into the stands. I also remember my dad taking me to the bookstore, and it was tiny back then. Dad took me to a few more games over the years, and when I was informed that I was going to be going, it was better than Christmas morning. As an adult, my goal was to make sure I took every one of my children to a game, a goal which I proudly accomplished. I've been to basketball and football games with all of my siblings, and even started on the next generation by taking one of my grandchildren. Just five more to go. Every single game, I make sure I'm on campus by 7 a.m. so I can reenact the tour my dad gave me with my guest. Of course, there are many more attractions than there were on my first trip, but it still has the same effect on me. Cold chills and sobbing. So I guess I would say the spirit of Notre Dame is love. Love of family, love of Notre Dame, and love of all the wonderful memories, end quote. Listener Michael Fine of New Jersey concurs when he says, quote, the spirit of Notre Dame has me thinking about family, has me thinking about faith, and has me thinking about growing up a fighting Irish fan, end quote. And speaking of growing up a fighting Irish fan, David Yingling of Western Pennsylvania shares what his experience was like. Quote, for me, it started when I was about five years old. And mind you, my dad and his siblings all either went to Penn State or Pitt. So on Saturdays when I was at my grandma's house, I can remember there would be football on. And my grandma didn't care for football at all, but she always put Notre Dame on. I just fell in love with Notre Dame ever since. She was a huge fan of the school because her father and other family were fans of them in the Rockney days when they were a small Catholic school who started basically dominating the college football landscape. And while they didn't have any family that actually went to school there, they were a sign of hope for a lot of people, particularly the immigrant Catholics who were looked down upon in society. I remember my dad taking me to the Notre Dame pit game to open the 2005 season, and it was just the coolest experience ever. And I've been to South Bend twice now, and it's like what Regis said. You can feel the spirits around you, and it's so hard to describe unless you've been there. It's such a special feeling, and it just can't be duplicated anywhere else. You can go all around the world and not have that same feeling of tradition and hard work from the Rockney teams to the Kelly era. It's something that never changes and it will stay that way forever." End quote. And as for me, I suppose it's just trying to capture the spirit and feel a part of it. I've really come to grips with the fact that the reason I started this whole podcast was a desire to position myself as close to this mythical, mystical spirit as I can by hope, hopefully finding people who are in the same pursuit and sharing it with as many people as I can. And I'll always be chasing it, and I'll always be sharing it, 
with my family, with my friends, and with anyone who will listen. And thank you for listening. And thank you to those who shared some of their sentiments about the spirit of Notre Dame. We will be right back for a show wrap-up. All right, so thank you very much. And I know that there might be, uh, that might might have sounded really flowery, for lack of a better term, or might seem like there was kind of some romantic notions still kind of swirling above a lot of those words. And, you know, one time when I was in Augie's locker room, I ran into, well, I met Len Clark. And so for those of you who are closer to kind of the day-to-day Notre Dame football coverage. You might actually know Len, and if you don't know Len, you should follow him because he's kind of got the dish on Notre Dame pretty much every single day, and he's just a very intelligent person. He's, he teaches he's teaches journalism. He's taught journalism at yeah, Notre Dame, among other colleges. But anyways, so being a journalist, that kind of gets you exposed to a lot of negativity and cynicism kind of firsthand, but he kind of mentioned to me and to kind of everyone there once that Notre Dame football and kind of the University of Notre Dame is one thing that he likes to kind of reserve as something that's pure in his life. And I just realized I couldn't agree more. And that is something that, you know, in this era where there's a lot of cynicism and that is something that I try to remain as positive about as I can. And hopefully, if you're a long-time listener of the show, you've probably picked up on that long ago. And so speaking of Augie's locker room, Jim Augustine, who is a friend of mine, and he's about as kind and gracious of a person as you'll meet, who of course owns and operates Augie's locker room, relayed a message out on Facebook. And I figure I'll do my part here and read it to everybody. So he writes, it's Jim Augie Augustine of Augie's locker room. Just a short note to say I hope everyone is safe and dealing with the pandemic. It has, indeed, been a year unlike any other. I know that there is a lot of uncertainty these days. Will there be a football season? Will things ever get back to, quote, normal? And will one have a job to return to in the near future, the latter being the most important? Notre Dame, historically, has been a beacon of hope, and Augie's locker room has been a steward of preserving its athletic history. The global pandemic has also been felt here in South Bend. We have lost many friends due to the virus, and we have many friends battling it on the front lines locally. Many local South Bend businesses have also been affected by the pandemic, and some may never return. I write you today to let you know that Augie's locker room is one of those businesses. Your patronage is, and always has been, truly appreciated. During this difficult time for all small businesses, Augie's is offering gift certificates for purchase. Buy a $50 gift certificate and get $60. Buy a $100 gift certificate and get $120. Buy $500 and you'll get a $600 gift card. Use them anytime to purchase your favorite Notre Dame item. Please stay healthy, and we look forward to seeing you all soon at Augie's Locker Room. And he finishes, many friends are helping promote Augie's, and we greatly appreciate the help. I'd also like to let you know that Augie's is a strategic partner of the Notre Dame Football Heritage Project, 
at ndcertificate.com. If you purchase any of the certificates, 50% will be donated back to Augie's. Thank you for your time, and go Irish! So actually, a few episodes ago, I talked about the Notre Dame Football Heritage Project and how I got a certificate for my son, Grayson, who went to his first game last fall. So if you have an opportunity to jump over, I mentioned Len Clark here not too terribly long ago, just a couple minutes ago, and the Notre Dame Football Heritage Project is also one of Len's kind of brain children, if you will. So if you jump over to ndcertificate.com, you could support both Len and Augie, which is uh, about a good of a a pair for Notre Dame and Notre Dame football, as you can kind of identify from my vantage point. But also, if you are interested in buying a gift certificate from Augie's, uh, you can find Augie's Locker Room on Facebook. You can find the website. Um, Just reach out, give him a call, and uh, give him as much support as you can. I know money's tight for a lot of people, and I absolutely am very very sensitive to that but um yeah as as kind of one of the mantras during this pandemic is you know to support small business as much as possible because we want them all to be back when this pandemic kind of gets through so i just wanted to make sure that i like i said did my part and relayed that to you all so again if you have an opportunity to do so support Augie's locker room and as well as support the Notre Dame football heritage project so again the certificate will commemorate your first Notre Dame football game and you can kind of upload your memories of that and it's a really swell idea it's a really swell project and again it's kind of spearheaded by Len Clark so this episode was a little bit different we didn't tackle a historical nor contemporary topic or idea Uh, something that's a little bit more intangible but I do want to Thank you. Hopefully you enjoyed it. It's it's fun to talk about these kinds of things. Like what makes your fandom special when pretty much everybody is convinced that the Notre Dame fandom is special. So it's been cool trying to articulate that. I really, really appreciate those of you who wrote in and let me know what, what, what you were thinking about the topic. And I'll be in touch with you because I'm going to send all of you, because I'll be sending you all some show swag and some Notre Dame stuff. So I will be sure to get that out to you as soon as possible. But I do appreciate some of y'all playing along. And like I said, hopefully it was enjoyable to the rest of you. And so there is some, as I've been kind of teasing for a couple weeks now, we do have some episodes coming down the pike. It's just a long off season. So I figured let's try to get as creative as we can with some of these. Uh, Of course, the season preview episode is forthcoming. We'll see kind of what happens with the game scheduled in Ireland. I know baseball just recently stated that there was a proposal that they will play without fans in the stands for possibly an 82-game schedule. So we'll see what college football does to hopefully uh, keep the season going. so we'll see. It's, yeah, there's, to use a football cliche, there's no playbook here. And so we'll kind of see what everyone does. I know it's hard to, to make long-term decisions with short-term data right now. So hopefully um, everyone's doing their due diligence to stay healthy, which I think in turn will kind of, I mean, it's going to help society out. It's going to help the economy. And of course, Third most there, of course, it's just going to help our sports out a little bit. So anywho, we'll kind of play it by ear, and I will be reporting on it soon. So again, so we have the season preview episode. Again, still working on the one about the Notre Dame fight song. I think that's going to be a really cool one. Got a couple George Gipp episodes, and then I might consolidate it into one 
grand George Gipp episode. We'll see what how it kind of pans out. But this is the 100th anniversary for George Gipp's 1920, magical 1920 season in which he was named an All-American and, as most of us know, subsequently passed away before the year was even over, which really, really cemented his allure and his spot in Notre Dame lore. So we got a lot coming. Hang tight. I'm happy to have some new listeners and some new people in the Facebook group. So please, if you have extra time on your hands, go back and listen to some of the other episodes. So just to give you a little bit of a, of a snapshot, uh, here recently we did an episode about Knut Rockney and Babe Ruth and kind of their intertwined paths to fame. Uh, let's see here. The one before that was about Jim Mutchler, who was among the first tight ends from Notre Dame. Now that uh, the position has been really solidified, particularly in recent history, you know, the Notre Dame tight end has become a position of esteem. Uh, but who was among the first? So Jim Mutchler did an episode about him. There was a three-part Notre Dame and the Civil War miniseries that I thought was really heavily enjoyed by most folks and was really widely listened to. So there was that. Uh, if you go way back in the archives, uh, let's see here, there's the story of Clashmore Mike, who was Notre Dame's first mascot, on-field mascot. He was an Irish terrier, so this is, predates the leprechaun. Um, and I mentioned Augie, so episode two, way back in July of 2019, uh, did an episode just talking to Augie about Irish football. Go back and listen to that one. And then actually did an interview with Jeff Harrell who's writing a new Knut Rockney biography, which that's another episode that's coming down the pike. Oh, just as a quick note about that, you know, we've been talking up the, the Rockney of Ages book, and unfortunately the release date was kind of postponed due to the pandemic. So uh, there'll be more details about that when, it, uh, when, they, when they become available. So did an ep another episode interviewing Jeff Harrell about the project at Augie's Locker Room. So yeah, go back and listen to him or re-listen to him. There's a lot of fun stuff in the show's archive. And that'll about wrap this one up. So this has been episode 23, the Audrey Denson episode. And the one which we examined, what does the spirit of Notre Dame mean to us? What is the spirit of Notre Dame? And I hope it was enjoyable. It was a lot of fun to put together. But this has been Onward to Victory. And in kindness, I am your host, Alex Painter. And until next time, and as always, go Irish. <laughs>